So let's do this. Let's turn our Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 7. Well, I went back and saw Larry three or four times just to make sure he got the message about uh, Community Day, and some of you get that, some of you don't. And I got a little cone, maybe it was a bigger cone, with some crunch coat on it three or four times, too. But, uh, hey, what, you got to do what you got to do when you can't cook and your wife's out of town, right? So, um, so there you go. Okay, so... Uh, this week, man, full on, full press. Uh, community day or dinner at six o'clock on Wednesday. Come, bring your family, bring your friends. I mean, who wants to cook on Wednesday? Nobody. So come and, uh, I don't know exactly know who's doing it this time, but it's always good. And then come and participate on Saturday. And, uh, if you don't know how to, uh, plug in. And, uh, I just said this, um, on Wednesday, and I'm serious about this, uh, if you want to plug in and serve at the church and you don't know how, I'll give you one way every week you can come and plug into the church and um, uh, be an encouragement to the body. You want to know how? It's really easy. All you do is you come a little bit early. Come about a quarter till ten. Uh, grab a donut, grab a coffee, but don't talk about, you know, Steelers or, you know, Buckeyes or something like that. Talk about the Lord. And ask people how they're doing. And seriously, say, no, really, how are you doing? How Could I pray for you? Uh, is there anything that you need? And uh, be a blessing to the body and then stay a little late and do the same. How do we serve in the local church? I'm convinced one of the greatest ways is to come early and stay late. If you make it about the Lord and him building up our body. So go ahead and do that. And uh, uh, we're going to have a friend of ours come from the middle of the state. Uh, a friend of ours on November 4th for the evangelism class, this friend met Xander out on the streets of Pittsburgh sharing the gospel. And then he came to church here with his family, and uh, he's a Jewish man who uh, surrendered his life to Jesus Christ somewhere in uh, 2013, 2012. And since that time, he's been traveling in the Northeast almost not every weekend, but lots of weekends. And he has a heart. He's been coming to Pittsburgh since 2014, sharing on the streets and uh, passing out Bibles and Gospels of John and lots of things and talking to people. He's been coming to Pittsburgh for two, since 2014, folks. And he goes to Rochester and some of those northeastern towns that I'm not real familiar with, but he does it. And he lives near Philly. So he's going to come and bless us. And I encourage you to come if uh, uh, you've never done that. Well, Xander asked you to turn to Genesis, and rightly so. We're going to continue. I, I don't know. I just feel, um, maybe don't take this the wrong way, but I just feel like we're uh, lethargic here for a minute. So uh, maybe myself included, so I'm not criticizing us. So let's pray and ask the Lord to wake us up, uh, you know, you know, mentally and spiritually. And that, because I really believe if you'll pay attention, if I'll pay attention here, God was trying, or is, not was, God is trying to tell us something really important. There's amazing lessons here in the story of the ark, and it has little to do with cute little stories you color in kindergarten. I mean, these are serious, big-time issues, and I personally believe there's a lot of anxiety in the world, and especially the church, because we don't know our history. We don't know what's come before. We're sort of, you know, we people tell us like this quick gospel. Read this thing on the back. Give your life to Christ and everything will be fine. And we forget that there's a whole body of work, if I can say it that way. It's better than work. I don't even know how even to articulate it. This whole grand thing that the Lord has done. And some of us take it for granted. And I believe if we learn our past what God has done, it settles our heart. Wake up there. And then we know what God is doing in the present. The Holy Spirit, he comes and we live the life of Jesus. Everything that Jesus has, we have. Did you know that? Everything that Jesus has, we have. That's amazing. He's given us all things, all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies. It's an astounding statement. So that's the present. And then we know the future. And Noah's Ark speaks of the future too. It's amazing. 
So let's pray that the Lord would wake us up. Me too. I got up early. I stayed up late. And I'm tired, but not tired spiritually. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. And I thank you for these people and their hearts to want to know you and be close to you and serve you and love you because you have first loved all of us. To respond to the covenant of grace, the things we just remembered, so to speak. And I pray, Lord, you'd fill us afresh so that we could go out of here for ministry and do ministry in your name and not our own. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's just take a look at a couple things. Is this even important? Well, it surely is important. Noah's Ark is surely important. Let me read you how important it is. You don't have to go there. Let me read it to you. Because just about a day or two before Jesus goes to the cross, he says this. This is how important what we're studying is. Jesus says this, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, this is Jesus speaking, folks, Jesus believed in a literal, historic Noah. If you can't believe what Genesis is saying, you got to sort of deal with what Jesus is saying because he believed it. So we can go on and we could do our debates and do all that and go on YouTube, but Jesus believed it. And he believed in a person, a real person, a person named Noah. As the days of Noah were, so also will be the or will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving to marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. Is that a sad statement? It's incredibly sad. The people who perished in the global flood just sort of, ah, ah. That's religious nutty talk, Noah and family. We're just going to do our deal. And Jesus says in the book of Matthew, listen to this, they did not know until the flood came, sad, and took them all away so also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. Now listen, that's talking about Jesus' second coming, His second coming. He's already come once. He came to establish the covenant of grace. He paid for our sins. He died. He rose again. And now we live in this church age, even the last days, and this age, this age is the age of grace. Praise the Lord. Who doesn't love that message? But there's coming a day, and he just told us there in the sermon, uh, or the Olivet Sermon here, or Olivet Discourse. That's what that is. He told us there's coming a day when he's coming again in judgment, like the ark. And he said, you can know the times and the seasons. Now, nobody knows the day or the exact time. Nobody knows that. But you can look at the environment in which you live and if it's like the days of Noah. And last week, I did a really poor job of finishing out that. Remember, there was a population explosion on the earth at the time of Noah. Go study the statistics. We're growing at a fast rate here, folks. What else was there that I didn't mention last week, and I'm really sad that I did, didn't, well, there was sexual perversion. Come on. That's a mic drop statement. Boom. All you have to do is just watch a, go watch the Steelers next weekend. You're going to get uh, shampoo commercials that are X-rated. Right on TV. And you know you've been watching this famous movie lately about this worldwide epidemic of the sick and perverted things that people do to other people, especially young ladies. And young men too, but 
you, you get what I'm saying, the sound of freedom. It's sick. It's perverted. And it's like everywhere. And if you don't think it's in Pittsburgh, you're wrong. It's here. It's everywhere. And there was this great wickedness on the earth. There was this great wickedness on the earth. And you see it. I mean, <laughs> we do. We just watch the news and we're like, whoa. I mean, I, I was just looking at ESPN.com the other day. And this former NFL player murdered his mother and threw her out in the backyard and drove down to Texas to try to escape. You talk about wicked. Well, alleged. It still hasn't gone to trial. But you know what I'm saying. They've charged him with it. And that's just one little peewee little thing. You, you know what I'm talking about. There's a couple things, though, that I didn't get to in chapter 6. And I want to just have you remember this. There's this wickedness and judgment of man uh, uh, that God starts to talk about in the, uh, chapter 6. And remember, we get into uh, around uh, verse 9, and it says this is the genealogy of Noah. And it talks about how Joe was not just and perfect, which is mature, but mostly, listen to this, walked with God. That's the story of the Bible. That's what they did in the garden. That's what Enoch did and was taken up. That's what Noah is doing. That's what we'll be doing. What are you going to be doing in heaven? You're going to be in the presence of God. And that's the story of the Bible. And we talked about how walking with God was a step-by-step -step thing. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And so I want to just mention something else, two things that I neglected to mention the other day. You ready? Look here in uh, verse 14. Now, do you guys remember... Most people believe there's several genealogical records contained in the book of Genesis. Do you remember this? Several geneal genealogical records, and most scholars believe that people scooped up these genealogical records, and as Moses is leading the people out of the wilderness, they basically give him the material and say, here, you write this. And he does. He writes it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Amen? You guys with me? Look here in verse 14 of chapter 6. I want you to see something, and you're going to see another evidence that Moses wrote this. Make yourself an ark. You're like, what? Make yourself an ark. That word is only used one other time in the New Testament. This is fascinating. The word in the Hebrew, only used one other time in the New Testament. Remember who's writing this, Moses. He's collecting the genealogical records. He's writing Genesis. He's writing Exodus and the rest of the first five books of the Bible. Remember this? That word is only used one more time. Guess where that word is used one more time? Remember when Moses' mother, when she had him, stuck him in a basket in the Nile River to protect him? because the babies were good. Remember that? Only me remember that? Good. I'm glad you remember it, because here's why. It's the same exact word for ark. <laughs> and it's only used that, those two times. Listen, Moses knew, and he sees this wrath and this judgment coming, and he uses the word for an ark, and it was an ark. And remember, we talked about this. The, the, if you've worked downtown, you see sort of what these things would look like. This wasn't a boat for navigating. This was a boat simply to float, just to exist for those times. It was, you know, short and squatty and wide, so it wouldn't, you know, topple over. It had three stories, and you remember this, it had a window, and a door. <laughs> and so we talked about that. And there's one other thing that I forgot to mention last week. But you got to know, Moses knew under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. As you keep going in verse 14, make yourself an ark. Moses was hit by that because he had to be in a basket as a baby to be alive. It saved him from death. Everybody with me? 
of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark and cover it. Hey, cover it. This is this weird on the inside and on the outside. Cover it with what? With pitch. And guess what that word is that I forgot to tell you last week, but it's so astounding, almost too unbelievable. Every other time it's used in the New Testament, or excuse me, the Old Testament, that word in the Hebrew is talking about atonement. At one minute. That's the word for atonement in the Old Testament. Is this incredible or what? And we said, yes, the, the ark is a picture of the rapture. You're going to be out of here and protected before the wrath of God comes. But in a other sense, it's just a picture, or not just, it is a grand picture of salvation. You're going to be protected from the wrath to come in the basket, in the ark. Everybody with me? And the reason you are is because of the atonement that is in your life. Sounds like Passover, doesn't it? All of it points to Jesus Christ. All of it. And Moses knew this. Moses knew this. And as you keep going through this story, and this story sort of, listen, this story sort of keeps going all the way to chapter 9. We aren't going to get to chapter 9 today. Well, we're not going to get through chapter 9. Hopefully we're going to get up to chapter 9. But I just want you to know that some scholars, listen, listen, don't tune out. I know. But there's no Steeler game today, and i got plenty of time and material. <clears throat> some people, and it's fascinating. If you want to read more about this, see me after. Some people, some scholars, see this same... Uh, 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 structure in chapters midway through chapter 6 all the way up to chapter 9 as the days of creation. What do you mean? Just real quickly, listen. Chapter 1, verse 2, talks about the earth, deep, and spirit, you know, ruah, and the waters. And in chapter 8, verse 1, guess what is spoken about? Wind, ruah, earth, waters, deep. All those words are in there. You get what I'm saying? The first day. Here, I'm going to give you these very quickly. In chapter 1, 6 through 8, it speaks of the waters and sky. In chapter 8, verse 2, it speaks of the sky. That's the second day. In the third day, chapter 1, verse 9, it speaks of water, dry ground, and appear. In chapter 8, 3 through 5, I know, don't glaze over. Just get the, get the theory here, because this is really important. In uh, chapter 8, 3 through 5, it talks about water and tops of mountains and appear. Same language. And in four, uh, uh, the fifth day, in chapters 1, verse 20 through 23, it talks about birds above the, the ground. But listen, in chapter 8, 6 through 12, it talks about a raven and a dove. And then the next phase, in the sixth day, it talks about in verse 24 of chapter 1, creatures, livestock, things that move across the ground, wild animals. In chapter 8, 17 through 19, it talks about creatures, birds, animals, and things that move across the ground. Now, are you getting what I'm trying to show you? How about this? Next phase, chapters 1, or chapter 1, 26 through 28. Listen, it's a man, image of God, male and female. In 8, 16, and 18, it's Noah and his wife. And in chapter 9, verse 6, it's man and the image of God. Those words are in there. What I'm trying to say is this little section, no, or excuse me, Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is, listen, is linking Adam, Noah, and himself. Do you remember uh, Noah having to receive the instructions of the ark? You know what I'd be doing when, when God was telling me the instructions of the ark? I would be glazed over because I can't build anything. I'd be like, what? But he paid attention, man, and he built it. Remember that? What about Moses? Guess what Moses receives instructions for? Tabernacle. 
You ever read the instructions of the tabernacle? They are detailed. You understand it? And what was Moses, or excuse me, uh, Noah doing? He was building an ark to keep people saved. What was Moses doing? He was building a temple to show people how they'll be saved. It's amazing. There's structure here. Moses didn't just write stream of consciousness. That's what I'm trying to tell you. You understand what stream of consciousness is? That's how we all wrote term papers, and they were real crappy. You remember those? Night before, two in the morning, blah, 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 blah. Oh, how many pages do I have yet? Blah, 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 blah. That's not what Moses was doing. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he was thinking and writing, and he had structure here. And you see it here. Some people believe... Listen to this. In the culmination, chapter 1, verse 28, seventh day, the king graciously grants his blessing on humanity. He talks about blessing and fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, rule. Don't tune out because in 9, chapter 1, he talks about blessed, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth. It's amazing. Let me show you a little bit else before we move on. Maybe this will help you. Maybe it won't. I hope it does. And that's this, is that there is an amazing amount of complex structure in this story. And I'm going to have them put this up for me. Do you know what a chiasm is? A chiasm is a mirrored form of poetry with the linchpin, oh, I misspelled something, but don't look at that. The middle of the poem is F. God remembered Noah, 8, chapter 1. Or excuse me, chapter 8, verse 1. Hang with me here for a minute. This is going to make sense. I guarantee it. But look, what happens is the deconstruction of the world and the judgment goes A, B, C, D, E. Then the linchpin, the pivot, is F, and then... Moses writes it so that he builds the world back up. Look at E and E. The flood prevails for 150 days. E. Mountains are covered, 7 and 17 through 24. Look what happens. The flood recedes, 150 days. Mountains visible. Look up in D. The flood begins. Look up in D, or look down in D. The earth dries. Do I think it's real and it's a story? Of course. This is real. History. But Moses put it into a structure, and I want you to see who here is creative. I'm not very creative. Oh, okay. You creative? Okay, we got three people in here creative. The rest of us just can't do anything. No, I'm kidding. You can do a lot of things. If you're a creative person, you ought to be jumping up and down right now. Because here's what the cool thing is. God takes a woman, God takes a man, and he puts some things in you. For Moses, he put a lot of things in there. And one of the things he put in Moses, apparently, was the ability to write and to write poetry. Now, he wasn't making this stuff up. This is real stuff. But he put it into a order that would resonate with you and me as we read it for time immemorial so that it would stick in our minds and we'd know it. That's why I'm trying to show you this. Noah and Moses... Amazing. You already saw that the basket thing that I showed you. But remember, do you also remember this? When Moses opposes Pharaoh later in the book of the Bible, he witnessed God's judgment too, just like Adam, when God unleashes the waters of the Red Sea. Remember that? God bless you. So we got the basket, we got the Red Sea, we got Moses receiving the instructions of the tabernacle, like Noah received some stuff. We need to pay careful attention to this message. Here's why. Here's the why. This is real history that really happened. It's not a figment of our imagination. Jesus said it. But what I'm saying is we need to pay careful attention to it because Moses knew. If you knew this, and he tried to set it up so you could remember it, oh, your heart would be settled. 
in lots of different ways. I want our hearts to be settled, folks. You know what I want us to do? I'm just praying for this. Now, if you have an issue with this, I'm not making fun. Everybody with me? Say, I'm with you. Yeah, I'm not making fun. Here's what I hope. I hope we do have perfect peace. And I'm not knocking it. I understand people have issues with anxiety and worry. I'm the chief worrier in here, so I know. I'm praying that all of us together, as we continue through the book of Genesis and start to learn this stuff, it's not that we're not concerned about things. It's not that we're not trying to be responsible citizens, but that our peace would come in knowing that we serve a God who designed it all. And that we can trust Him like Noah trusted Him, like Moses trusted Him, for the things we can't see. Because here in a second, you're going to run into a situation that Noah ran into. And I just got to tell you, selfishly, I'm like, Lord, don't put me in that position. (laughs) Please don't put me in that position. Here's what I'm talking about. So, chapter 7. The Lord says to Noah, what does the Lord say to Noah? The Lord says to Noah, come unto the ark. Come. Isn't that the way of the Lord? He does it over and over. We serve an inviting God. Many of us believe, do you know this? Many of us believe in our heads. Maybe we had a bad dad. Maybe we had a bad family. Maybe we had a bad boss. I don't know. But it's imprinted on our mind that we serve a God that doesn't want to be around us. And the God of the Bible over and over and over again says this, come. Like, are you like really tired? Are you like worn out from life? Our Lord and Savior says, hey, if you're weary and heavy laden, if you're weary, and I know you probably are, the Lord says, come unto me. Oh, I'm I'm inviting you to come into an experience with me that gives you real rest. Not the rest that you look on Instagram for, you know, the perfect house or the perfect car or the perfect vacation. That's all well and good, I guess, but it's never going to satisfy you. Never. Never. It's only Jesus. He said, hey, you need the water. Come, drink the water that you can get from me. And you're going to have life and excitement following him. Correct? He said this, are you perplexed about something? He said, hey, come, let us reason together. And you could just continue to read the Bible. It's all. He's an inviting God. He invites, he invites, but he doesn't grab you by the lapel and pull you in with him. He says, come, come. Isn't that wonderful? And here he says to Noah, because Noah apparently was walking with him and talking with him. And he says, I'm going to give you some warning and some invitation and some love here. And I'm going to ask that you come into the ark. And don't you love the next sentence? Don't you love the next sentence? Come into the ark, you and all your household. I love that sentence. Because I bet, like me, you are the same way. Most of us here, most of us here, just be honest, folks, you love your family the most. Right? Who are the ones you sit up and worry about? Well, it's probably not me. You sit up and worry about your sons and your daughters and your grandsons. and your You know what I'm talking about. Your moms and your dads. You love them and you want them to be in the ark too. And there's no doctrine here that says if you get saved, your whole household gets saved. But see, the statistics say when you get saved, especially the dad. I'm just telling you what the statistics say. This isn't a sexist statement. This is just the statistics. When the dad gets saved and he lives and leads like the Bible calls him to, the dynamics of that new relation in Christ, not a doctrine. Like if I get saved, everybody in my family still has to choose. 
It's between them and the Lord. But I'm providing an environment in which there's this dynamic where the family... Now, is the mother important? A hundred percent the mother's important. No one's saying that. She's in there too. She's loving and serving. And these two coming together are a picture of Christ to their little ones and to their bigger ones and to, as they grow for 18 years of seminary at home. Do they have to choose? Sure. But look, isn't it beautiful that God, look here, is the caring for Noah and his family. That's so wonderful. And praise the Lord for Noah and his wife who were living in belief and faith. And you know that because we read Hebrews 11 last week. It talks about the faith of Noah. Why did Noah go in the ark? Because of his faith. He trusted and he obeyed. And you say, I know, you're the pastor. You got to say that. This is church. You got to say that. But you know what's going to happen tomorrow? You're going to come to a. Is it Y or V in the road? Fork. There we go. Fork in the road. You're going to come to a fork in the road and you're going to wonder which way to go. It's not a Y or a V, it's a fork. I feel like Yogi Berra up here. <laughs> anyway, he, he said, when you come to the fork in the road, take it. Anyway, that's pretty funny. But anyway, um, but you're going to come tomorrow, fork in the road. And you're going to have an opportunity all day, every day to believe and trust in Jesus or to not. To believe and trust in yourself, believe and trust in your boss, believe and trust in your wealth. Believe and trust in your health. And the problem is you can't base any of your life ultimately on any of that. It's only Jesus. And will you trust him or not? Even if he speaks or not. What if he doesn't tell you what to do tomorrow morning? You're always going back to his word. Well, let's look at it as we continue. It's so beautiful. He says, come into the ark. He's an inviting God in all your household. Because I've seen that you are righteous. See, righteousness is an outcome of faith. It's not like Moses was a goody two-shoes. You, you understand in this new covenant, if you surrender your life to Jesus Christ and trust him for your salvation, what's that called? Faith. Then the outcome of that is that you receive his righteousness. So that if you died, after you surrender your life to Christ and you go to heaven, here's what the Lord's going to say. Oh, you're perfectly righteous. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount, so astounding, when I'm a kid reading this, and maybe even older than a kid, I'm going, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Because somebody asked Jesus, how perfect do you have to be to get into heaven? And Jesus says, oh, that's an easy one. But yeah, just as perfect as Father in heaven. And when I read that, I go, I'm toast. There's no way. I need the righteousness of Christ. Who here needs the righteousness of Christ? Raise your hand. Yes, it's an outcome of faith. You are righteous. Now watch. And practically, that's positionally, and practically, you now are inclined to the things of God and want to do righteous things. Not that you're perfect. You still sin. I still sin. We uh, confess and move forward, but we are inclined to do the things of the Lord. And that's what Moses was like. I've seen that you're righteous before me in this generation. God is looking for men and women, boys and girls, he's scouring the earth for people who would obey him and, and, and trust him. To put you in a generation where people are wicked, sexually perverted, and to live your life as a shining light of the gospel amongst the darkness. That's, what, that's the whole story of the Bible. And here we are. We're only into seven chapters. It's right here. And he says, you shall take with you seven each of every clean animal. I love this one. I love to ask people, how many animals did Noah take on the ark? And everybody says two by two. And I always say, especially to my kids, I would always kid with them a little. I would say, well, it depends. If you really want to be a smart aleck, yes. Be sarcastic. No, you're not being sarcastic because it's true. When somebody says, how many, how many animals went on the ark? You say, well, it depends. 
Were they clean or unclean? Because clean animals, there's seven. Now, some people believe it means seven. Some commentators believe it's a pair of seven, so 14. You do be a Berean and figure that out yourself. All I know is they brought more clean animals on the ark than they did unclean animals, and that makes sense because what's going to happen to those animals as they then come off the ark? What are they going to do with these animals? Clean animals could be sacrificed, and somehow, some way, these people start to know about the sacrificial system. Remember back in the garden when they ate from the tree? Remember? They went, oh, we're naked. And the next thing we know, they're covered by an animal skin. How'd that happen? The Lord covered them by slaughtering an animal. So somehow they're going to need it. Some people say it's because of diet, too. They could eat the clean animals they couldn't eat. But, but you get it. There's not just two by two. There's some that are sevens. And that's the clean animals. A male and a female, two each of animals that are unclean, a male and his female, seven each of the birds of the air, male and female, to keep the species alive. For after seven more days... Listen, folks. Come on, be real with me here for a second. My name, say your name was Noah. And the Lord came to you and said, you know, Noah, I want you to build an ark. It's going to take about 120 years, but I want you to build it because you're going to encounter some rain. And Noah would say to himself, well, Lord, what's an ark? There was no need for an ark. And Lord, what's rain? I have no idea what rain is. And for 120 years, there he is building the ark. Come on, sons and family must have been giving him grief. The community sure was giving him grief. They were scoffing. You're out of your tree, man. What are you doing? You're some religious nut. You think the Lord's told you this. 120 years. It would have been tough, for me at least. And then the Lord says, okay, uh, get that. The ark's ready. Praise the Lord. I need you to wait seven more days. I'd have been like, Lord, I waited 120 <laughs> Really? Seven more days? Yes, seven more days. I'll cause it to rain on the earth 40 days, 40 nights. I'll destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have made. Listen, but Noah didn't do that like I would. You know what Noah did? He showed up for work or service with the Lord and he went like this. Yes, sir. How many times do we question the Lord? Lord, you don't know me. What are you doing? You know I like this and I want to be over here and I want to do this. Why are you putting me over here? It's as if you're saying to the Lord, I know better than you do. Here, Noah just says, okay, seven more days. Fine with me, Lord, because I'm your servant. So he does it, seven more days. And he does all that the Lord commanded him. And watch this. Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters... We're on the earth. Now, do me a favor, just so you can see it one more time, if you want, or just listen to me. Look over at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. I referred to this earlier, but let's look at it. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, by faith. Write that down. If you hear by faith... These people did these things. Wouldn't you want to find out what faith is? <laughs> or you just want to have a sermon and go home and watch ESPN all day? I don't know. But by faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, faith moves on the promises of God even when you don't see it. You write that down. Even when you don't see it. Even if you think... That's the most outlandish thing I've ever heard. When, when the Lord asks you to do something, even if you can't see why, that's what Moses did. Moved with godly fear. That's faith. Godly fear. What's that? Reverential awe. You're in awe of the Lord. You don't tell the Lord what to do. He's lovingly tells you what to do. You're not his butler. You're his servant, his child. You have a reverential fear. That's faith. He prepared an ark for the saving of his household 
by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. That's Noah. Isn't that beautiful? So when you go back, look, Noah was 600 years old when the flood waters, and Noah, with his sons, his wife, his sons' wives, went into the ark because of the waters of the flood. Look down there and tell me who went first. Not a trick question. Who went first? Who went into the ark first? Noah. Noah went first, it says right there. Listen, dads, grandpas, men. We got this bad habit in the church at large of letting the ladies take care of the spiritual stuff. Hey, I'm glad the ladies take care of the spiritual stuff, but let's lead too. Let's go. Let's step up. Let's go in first. I love it here. You know why I love it here? One of the reasons, a lot of ways, but I love this. We have godly, responsible, serious men who teach Sunday school. I love that. Don't you love that? We have godly, wonderful women who teach Sunday school. Praise the Lord. They're amazing. But we have godly, mature, loving, responsible men who teach Sunday school too. It's not like, we're to lead. You Listen, you know what's funny about leading? <laughs> Here's what's funny about leading. Who here can dance if you're a man? Raise your hand. Oh, good for you, Paul. Good for you guys. I'm terrible. My wife is an amazing dancer. In our, well, anyway. She's an amazing dancer. And she always wants me to dance at a wedding or something. She always wants me to dance. I'm like, oh, the last thing I want to do ever is dance. I'm the worst. But man, if I do it, you know what's amazing? What they always say, the guy's the leader in the dance. How? When I take her hand, put my arm around her back, and just try, even though she's sort of the better dancer, she gives way to that, and then, listen, she loves it. Loves. And we have the best time, and it's wonderful, and it's, you know, symphonic, and it's love, and it's beautiful, and she loves it. You say sometimes, the guys say, well, I don't know how to lead. Try. Get with the Lord in the mornings. Get with the Lord in the evenings and ask him to give you the way to do it. Step up. Don't avoid. The number one greatest thing that a kid or a family could see in your house is you having devotions. Just you. Maybe they don't even want to do it at the beginning. But gradually, as they see you doing it, they start asking you questions, and now you're leading. You've gone from two left feet (laughs) to one and a half or something. I don't know. (laughs) You get it? And what else do we do as leaders in the home? We protect Protect your family. The home should be a place of protection. Provide. We've got a generation of young men that sit in the basement and play video games. And, you know, I understand. My kids sometimes play video games. But, man, we ought to be showing them the way and hard work and providing for the family. And I'm not saying wives can't work or anything like that. I'm saying lead like that dance. Boy, I better not do it. You might tell Jan I was doing it. (laughs) And Noah did it here. He wanted to make sure his family was in that ark because he knew what was coming. He knew. So clean animals, of animals that are unclean, of birds, 
They all came two by two into the ark. And I want you to see something. They came to the ark. How did he get them to the ark? They came to the ark. You go, really? You believe that? You believe in migratory birds? Well, then you believe in this. Why in the world do some birds from Canada go down to South America? And how do they know? You ever thought about that? Well, they know because God put it in them. And here, apparently, God put it in them. And they come into the ark to Noah, male and female, as God commanded. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were on the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep were broken up and the windows of heaven were open. So there was rain above and then the rain, uh, uh, excuse me, there was rain below and then there was rain above. And the rain was on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. And on the very same day, Noah and Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, Japheth, and Noah's wife and three wives of his sons with them entered the ark, eight people, Peter tells us, and they and every beast after its kind, all cattle after their kind, every creeping thing creeps on the earth after their kind, and every bird after its kind, and every bird of every sort. And they went into the ark to Noah, two by two of all flesh, in which is the breath of life. Ruah, the same word from the creation account, that spiritual animating life. So those that had entered, male and female, went in as God had commanded. And here's something important. And the Lord shut them in. Does God do the saving work? Well, of course. He protects you, gives you salvation. The Lord is the one who shut them in. Of course the Lord does saving work. He is the one that makes us secure. It's the Lord. Now here we believe that you have choice. And the Lord is sovereign. We don't believe it's mutually exclusive. You've got two camps in the Christian world. One camp saying it's up to the person to come to the Lord. There's another camp that says it's only up to the Lord. And it is only up to the Lord, except for you still have to receive what the Lord gives you. Are they mutually exclusive? We would say no, they're not mutually exclusive. They're both true. And here we see that the Lord protects and shuts you in. It's amazing. So that nobody could pluck you out of his hands, the Bible tells us. Now the flood was on the earth, look at this, 40 days. The waters increased, lifted up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. And the waters prevailed. That word means rose triumphantly. <laughs> what he's trying to say here is that the waters were so high that they won out. You get it? And this is, speaks of a global flood. This isn't a local flood. If it was a local flood, folks, we could go into this for days and we could talk about all the different reasons. But here's the main reason. If it was a local flood, wouldn't the Lord just tell them to go over there? Just move over there and I'm going to deal. No, it was a global flood. And it went above the mountaintops. That's what he's trying to tell you here. Everything was covered. You say, well... This is in other, I, I get people saying this all the time. This is in other pagan religions. Yes, of course it is. Because it actually happened. And it happened in the God story and people heard about it and they were like, whoa, we got to incorporate that into our religion. And it pops up everywhere. Praise the Lord. It pops up everywhere. It tells us that the global flood is real. It really happened. You, you can't explain. While some of those fossils are high up in the Himalayas, folks, they're up there. Why would a f little fossil be up there? Because it's global. And on and on. You can research that. So the waters prevail, and the waters were exceeding on the earth, and all the high hills were under the whole heaven. The waters prevailed 15 cubits upward. Mountains were covered. All flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds and cattle, beasts, every creeping thing, all in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life. All that was on the dry land destroyed. So he destroyed all things, living things, which were on the face, both man and cattle, creeping things, and they were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive. And the waters prevailed in the earth 150 days. Now I want you to see something. When was the last time the Lord spoke to Noah? Go back to chapter 7, verse 1, when he said, come into the ark. 
There's been a lot of silence. Who? I already asked you. I'm a worrier. I would have wanted a daily briefing. Is this what we're supposed to be doing here, Lord? Am I on the right track? Anything you need? Should I adjust something? Uh, the manure in the back 40 is getting pretty... Can, how do we get rid... You get what I'm saying. This the, the elephants are eating like crazy. Are we going to have enough food? I'd be worrying. God doesn't speak to him yet. That's interesting. So keep going. And the water prevailed 150 days. And then watch this. Then God remembered Noah. It didn't, listen, that's a way of speaking in human terms because you can't really describe God's characteristics. So he he used like a human term. It wasn't like God forgot Noah for all those days. You understand that, right? He still knew Noah. What he's sort of saying is, he's saying this, I'm acting upon this previous commitment to you that you're a covenant partner with me. What do you mean? Look over in chapter 6, verse 18. I will establish my covenant with you. You shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, your sons' wives with you. In other words, and you're going to come out alive. God was remembering his covenant. And you guys are like, well, okay, just get over it, will you? But we did something today. (laughs) I was so happy what Xander talked about today. In the New Testament, God established the covenant of grace by the blood of Christ. And some of you here think God has forgotten you. Maybe he hasn't talked to you. God hasn't forgotten you. You know how I know? Because he died on a cross for you. He's never forgotten you. He remembers you. And look, it's interesting. Did you hear what uh, uh, Xander read to us? Do this in remembrance of me. I remember you. Now you remember me. Isn't that powerful? That's always the way the gospel is. It always demands a response. Not a response of being a good little boy or a good little girl, but a response of trust and belief and love because of all that God did for us through His Son, Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? God remembers Noah here and everything that He had said and all the animals that were with Him. Here we're getting to see the faithful one. We can have faith because He is faithful. Man, I'm getting excited. Is it getting hot in here because it looks we look tired? Turn on the air conditioning or something and get your parkas on. Let's go. And all the animals that were with him, and God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the water subsided, and the fountains of the deep, and the windows of heaven were also stopped, and the rain from heaven was restrained, and the waters receded continually. At the end of 150 days, I mean, I'm like, Lord, I need out of here. None of, no complaints from Noah. His family is in the ark. They're safe. They're sound. There's more days to come, but he's not the boss. He knows he's following the Lord who's only good. And then the ark rested. And I want you to circle that. Rest is a big topic in the book of Genesis. In the seventh month, the 17th day of the month, Now, as somebody pointed out to me before this, when they do the calculations, listen, in Exodus 12, the Jewish calendar was changed. And the seventh month became the first month. So it becomes kind of confusing. But let me just tell you something. The 14th month of the seventh, or 14th day of the seventh month turns out to be the day of the Passover. And what happened on the Passover? Say it again. There you go. And what happened three days later? Jesus rose again, and now we can enter into his rest. And what the writer here is trying to tell you here is that uh, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is this is a signal for all of you. This is a story that shows you 
that what happened on that particular day is going to lead to your rest for eternity. Isn't that amazing? And the waters decreased until the tenth month, and in the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. So here, you got more time passing. So it came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened up the window of the ark which he had made. Then he sent out the raven which kept going to and fro until the waters had dried up. And he also sent out from himself a dove, a raven, one who eats meat. He found sometimes a picture of wickedness or evil in the Bible. He finds, you know, searching to and fro and sort of looking for the meat. But look, the dove, he sent out himself a dove, receded from the face of the ground. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot, returned to the ark, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth, put out his hand, took her, drew her into the ark to himself, and he waited yet another seven days. I would have been going stir crazy. Am I the only one? I would have been saying, Lord, let me out. And I would have been harmed. And I would have harmed my family. But he does and says another seven days, senses the dove out from the ark. And then the dove comes in the evening and behold, a freshly plucked olive leaf was in her mouth. And Noah knew that the waters had received it. So he waited yet another seven days, sent out the dove, which did not return again to him anymore. Now watch. And it came to pass in the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, that the waters were dried up from the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark, had a covering of some sort, and looked, and indeed the surface of the ground was dry. And in the second day, on the 27th, or second month, 27th day, you guys are like, quit reading it, I get it, the earth was dried. But maybe you didn't get that. He was in that ark, they were in that ark, 370 plus days. Over 370 days in the ark. Your tendency, Lord, it smells. Lord, I need to walk around. I need to do some things. What? Come on, what are you doing to me? And the Lord is protecting the whole time. Do you get that? See, and God hasn't spoken to him in 370 plus days. Anybody here begging for the Lord sometimes to speak to them? I want to show you something in Romans chapter 5. Lord, what do I do? Why won't you talk? Are you ignoring me? Do you not care for me? Do you not love me? And then we read this in the New Testament. Anybody just go, Lord, I need you to hear from you. Therefore, look at this, verse 1, having been justified by faith. There it is again. How do you, how does God declare you not guilty? By faith and trust in Him. Not because you're a good little boy, a good little girl, you put money in the basket, you take this, you do that, you host that Bible study, you help old ladies across the street. None of that! You're justified by faith. You plug into what Christ has already done. Look at this. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. A lot of us need to hear that. You have peace with God. You feel like you don't. You need to know through the blood of Christ, you have peace with God. There's no enmity. Look up the word enmity when you go home. If you don't know what it is, this big gulf between you and the Lord. There's no enmity between you. This thing, this friction, that's all gone. You have peace with God. You, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. That's that picture of that, who here is old enough to look commercials two weeks in a row? Who's here is old enough to remember that Cran Ocean commercial where the guy's, you know, Cran, you know, picking of the cranberries and they, he's sort of in a bog and he's got his big boots on and they, they pan down and it's just a few berries and then they go back and this dude is in this massive field in eastern Washington and he's, I mean, there's cranberry bog everywhere and he's standing in the middle of it. Okay, I'm the only one. But that's what the Lord is saying to you about grace. His grace is limitless. And you stand in it. All the ability to save you, all the ability to help you live, all the ability to propel you into the future, you have standing in the grace. And you rejoice in hope, in the hope of glory of God. And look, all of you are going, yes, I want to put that on my refrigerator. Yay! 
except for we often quit reading. And not only that, but we also listen. You also make big in your life, not that you complain and talk about it and spread it all over Instagram and the Internet. You make big. That's what glory is, tribulations in your life. You know what you do? Listen, just hang on with me. This is important. We'll watch the Steelers next week together. You say when a tribulation comes, here's what we tend to do. Why don't you ever talk to me, Lord? How come you didn't tell me what to do? I asked you yesterday and nothing. I'm mad at you. And the Bible says when a tribulation comes, listen, to make it big in your life. Because something bigger and higher and greater is at stake. Do you get this? Something bigger and higher and greater is there It's at stake, and you think it's your happiness and comfort, but the Lord says this, you need perseverance. You don't stick with it, and perseverance is part of the currency of heaven. And not only that, but look, perseverance character. You glory in tribulation. You know what perseverance in many translations is? I hate this word. I hope you do too. Maybe some of you do. I hate this word. Patience. You ought to see me driving. I got no patience. Do you? Boy, that's where, that's the, that's the crucible of Christianity is in the car on the, on the, especially who would live in Penn Hills? having to go into downtown. Who would live in Penn Hills? Are you kidding me? I'd die in about the first week. But anyway, that's a different story. Do you know that the when you glory, listen to this, in tribulations, it produces patience, and patience uh, uh, produces character. I Look! Everybody says, I need hope in my life. I want some hope. And I'm not making fun. You need hope. I need hope. Here's what the Lord says if you're tracking with me, and I'll stop. Tribulations are what lead to hope. Can you hardly believe it? Nobody in the world would say that. It's so upside down from what the world says. The world says, put all your ducks in a row, get your 401k right, house, pool, uh, lawn manicured, uh, uh, you know, perfect car, perfect wife, perfect life, perfect fence, and then everything's going to be amazing. And the Lord says, you got it backwards. The hope buster or the hope filler of your life is the things that are tribulations or hard. And the reason that is, is because there's when you're on your knees close to the Lord and the Lord shows himself mighty and strong. And you know, when you go to the next tribulation or trial that you can depend upon him in ways that other people don't know. It's unbelievable. Hope and tribulations are tied together. So don't avoid them. Quit complaining about them. I'm speaking to me. God's doing something in your life through a tribulation that you're going to use for all of eternity. Faith. Hope, trust, love, joy. It's all going to be there because when you come through the backside of that thing that's so awful and tribulation, you're going to know him. He's, you're going to, here, here's the other part, the flip side of that, and we'll stop. But you're going to know that he knows you. Did you catch that? You're going to so see how faithful he was through the entire tribulation. It's not that you're just going to know him. Yes, you are going to know him, but you're going to know that you're known by him. And that's the gospel. Well, when you move back to Genesis, you see this. 
then God said, go out of the ark. I want you to see this. God asks you to come, but he always sends you out. <laughs> and go out of the ark, you, your wife, your sons, bring out with you every living thing, flesh that is with you, birds and cattle, every creeping thing. Be fruitful and multiply. So Noah went out. There it is again. More obedience. And his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. And every animal, every creeping thing, every bird, whatever creeps on the earth, according to their families, went out. Then Noah... Look. You know what I'd have done? I would have scheduled a trip to Colorado. I would have done something I loved. I would have got the tennis or the pickleball rackets. I'd have got my family around. I had a picnic. I'm off the ark. But you got to see this before you leave. When you go through difficult things and you don't think the Lord's speaking and yet He's trusting you with His silence so that you can know Him and He, you can know that He knows you in real and intimate ways, the best and one, most wonderful thing to do when you come out of the back end is to build an altar. And I don't mean an altar. I mean worship. To worship. The Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Look, He offered burnt offerings. Burnt offerings were ones that were fully devoured. They were free will offerings. You never had to give them. You gave them of your own free will. And He gave these free will offerings and a soothing aroma lifted up to the Lord. And the Lord said in His heart, Look, I'll never curse the ground for man's sake. Although the imagination of man's heart is evil, your will, uh, nor will I again destroy every living thing while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. He's going to give a, we live in a time of grace to humanity until the final judgment. That's First Peter 3, Second Peter 2. Noah is saying to him, out of the ark, when we would have been complaining and little bratty kids, he's saying you were faithful you love me, I love you, and watch, all my life, this is what he's saying, all my life is yours. He took the time to worship first. It's incredible. And the Lord remembered all of that. It was pleasing to the Lord. Remember when the lady pours out her alabaster jar and Judas says, what are you doing? He knew the amount. It was extravagant worship. She, it cost her something. And the Lord saw that here and he goes, whoa. I'll never again curse the ground for man's sake. This was major. You could go to Matthew chapter 4 verse 10. I won't. But before you serve, you should surrender and worship. What keeps us going? Worship to serve. There's a lot of serving people who say, what are you doing upstairs worshiping when you should be down here serving? The Lord says, oh, it's so pleasing to me. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You for this time. And uh, I thank You, Lord, for this amazing Word that applies right here all this time. Hence, from the things that took place in this chapter for these chapters. And we ask, Lord, that you would bless us so that as we go forward, all of our life would be given to you. Our spiritual life, our emotional life, our intellectual life, our financial life, our romantic life, our hobby life, our leisure life. Everything, Lord, would be yours. Help us because we need help every day and every hour. In Jesus' name, amen.